This is the Screaming Pods Network on ScreamingPods.com. And now, on with the program. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. Hello, what have we here? My God, it's full of stars. Xenopod, from the year 5000. Welcome to Xenopod from the year 5000. I am your host, Sean Drager. I am very excited about today's episode. I was going to kind of do an episode where we talk about the Maze Runner trilogy. I was going to get a guest on and we were just going to kind of, you know, talk about the films, what we thought about them. But then um, at my co-host of the Screamcast, at his kind of elbowing uh, Brad Henderson, he said, hey, man, why don't you reach out to the director, Wes Ball? And so I did. And Wes Ball, the director of the Maze Runner trilogy, was kind enough to let me interview him for today's episode. So we're going to get to that uh, in just a little bit. But first, I wanted to tell you a little bit about these films. There's three films in the uh, the film series, the film adaptations of Maze Runner. Uh, there's Maze Runner, then there's Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials, and then there is Maze Runner, The Death Cure. And all three of these are out on Blu-ray right now. And as we get into it in the interview, I was a little kind of apprehensive to give these a shot because we're in this kind of you know, young adult post-apocalyptic uh, overload with uh, where we were at the time with films like The Hunger Games. But I gave these a shot and I absolutely loved Maze Runner. Uh, the Scorch Trials was even better. And then I had a really fun time with the Death Cure, kind of finishing out this the trilogy with these characters, with this journey they're on. So I highly recommend it. And I know that my co-host for the Screamcast, Brad Henderson, he also uh, loves these too. He kind of turned me on to these. So yeah, we were going to have this whole episode where him and I were just going to talk about these films, but uh, it turned into just me talking to Wes Ball about these films for about an hour. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into that. Day one, Greeny. Rise and shine. What is this place? Can you tell me your name? I, I can't remember anything. Who put us here? We don't know. What's out there? The maze. Every morning when those doors open, the runners look for a way out. No one has ever survived a night in the maze. What happens to them? We don't belong here. I think it's time we find out what we're really up against. Everything started changing the moment you showed up. It's a girl. Thomas. Why are we different? What if we were sent here for a reason? You're not like the others. You're curious. But if you want to stay here, I need to know that you're going to follow the rules. (laughs) 
Well, with me today is the director of uh, the Maze Runner films. There's three films right now. I'm calling it the Maze Runner trilogy. We'll get into that later uh, if there's like going to be any more. <laughs> I like that. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Wes Ball joins me today on Xenopod from the year 5000. Wes, thank you for joining with me, joining me. Yeah, pleasure to be here, man. Um, I... I'm, a, I'm kind of a new convert to these films because... Oh, that's cool. That's actually a cool story. I'm anxious <laughs> to hear that, actually. Maze Runner came out in 2014, and it really hasn't been too too far. I mean, this is you know, four years ago, which isn't really that, uh, you know, that long. Yeah, it was, uh, what, September of 2014 mm-hmm. was the first one. But uh, when it came out, I kind of... There's a lot of the young adult novels kind of coming yep. out and everything, and um, I had kind of already was hitting kind of like Hunger Games fatigue, you know, which is like, oh, yeah. man, another one of these... Um, and it wasn't until my co-host for the screencast, Brad Henderson, brought it up uh, a couple years back that he really enjoyed Maze Runner. And I was like, well, I better check this thing out. And so I, you know, I found it in Target and uh, I grabbed the Blu-ray and I immediately sat down to watch it. And I absolutely uh, I, I loved it. I loved I mean, I love the idea. Um, I love uh, the idea of these young uh, kids, I guess kids, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Young adults <laughs> kind of thrown into this situation. There's a sci-fi element. There's also this kind of, uh, um, oh, what's that? Uh, I'm having, I'm having a brain blank on, on the movie with the kids on the island. Um, Lord of the Flies. I should know this. Yes, Lord of the Flies yeah. feel, and I, and I loved that aspect to it. So I really enjoyed the first film. And just had a lot of fun with it. And then when I heard that they were going to keep going, because I was totally divorced from the books. I had no idea about yeah, the books. Sure. I didn't read the books. Um, and then, you know, Scorch Trials came out. And then I, I caught that once I hit Blu-ray. And I catch a lot when things hit Blu-ray just because of, you know, kids and everything. It's Family. Just to make it out, <laughs> yeah, that's to right. make it out to the theater. Um, and then just recently, uh, The Death Cure came out on Blu-ray. And um, and, I, and I finally caught that. And and as a whole, man, I I... I love what the 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 journey these characters have taken i love that each of the films um, and i'm sure it's with this way with the book but each of the films kind of they all kind of stand on their own in a way um each one has a kind of a kind of a set main location yeah it's uh, its own little universe that just keeps kind of expanding right Right, there's an expansion, and then there's an expansion with the characters, and you kind of go along, and you really start getting invested in these characters. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm telling everyone now, like, you need to check this these movies out. They're not what you guys think they are. <laughs> I get it. The, the whole we've always kind of been this sort of disowned stepchild thing of Hunger Games. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's one of those. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, so it's interesting when I, I, I meet a lot of people. Who who hadn't kind of checked it out at first, and then and then happened to go check it out, and then come to find it's not quite what they thought it was, mm-hmm. you know, maybe for better or worse, you know. But that's <laughs> always kind of a, a for me a cool experience for people that you know you kind of play against their um, their anticipate their, 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 their what they're expecting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I want to get into the, the the films a little further, but what I don't want to do, I guess, really is spoil each of the main things of the film. Yeah, of so course. I want to tread lightly around the whole the main, I guess, plot points or, or things that can be considered spoilers. Cause I feel like my whole goal yeah. with this podcast is to try to get people to check out movies. They uh, maybe yeah, I'll, wouldn't I'll check out to any of the big spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but what, the first thing I wanted to ask you 
kind of with these films being in the in the science fiction genre and these kind of being your first well these are your first feature length films which I want to talk yeah. about in a little bit as well um did you gravitate towards science fiction when you were growing up oh, um, yeah. and then uh, if if so uh what were the films that kind of had the biggest impact on you well one of the first ones for me the first rated r movie i ever saw <laughs> we're, i imagine we're probably close to the same age but it was yeah. it was terminator 2 <laughs> yes that was my first rate it was, it was it was a big impact for me because i remember my dad taking me we were, we were on vacation actually and my dad took me inside and said we're gonna go watch the terminator movie it's rated r are you okay with that I'm like yeah i think well, it was 91 so i was like 11 or something you know what i mean so it was a big deal just for that like a step forward you know mm-hmm. into adulthood but then for that to be the movie that kind of brought me into the adult world of movies perfect you know so yeah. that kind of set me off along with my friends down this path of like aliens you know an alien and you know of course there's star wars but i actually consider star wars more fantasy than, than right. sci-fi but um, you know, uh, all, all those movies in the eighties and nineties, uh, that, that was my era, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's where I kind of came out and, uh, and, and really fell in love with, with movies, you know what I mean? Especially yeah. movie making, you know? Yeah. What, what is it that you love most about science fiction? Um, I mean, I'm, I kind of have like my favorite genres. I of course have a horror movie podcast. I've uh-huh. always gravitated more towards science fiction to me. I think just because, with horror, I feel like there are some elements, but there's kind of a basic uh, soap, or not soapbox, but a basic box. You kind of keep the horror tropes in um, a little bit. And then the science fiction, I feel like you can kind of expand more. And yeah, you can bring in, fact, in horror. I would say that for me, the best horror is actually the ones that fit into some other genre. Yeah. Right? You got Alien, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a horror movie set in a sci fi world. You've got, you know, um, I, I'm drawing a blank on all the different different versions of that, but you know, uh, <laughs> Quiet that. Place even t- right, today, right. it's kind of a sci-fi sort of thriller thing, um, or a monster movie at least. But um, I hear you. You know that that's sci-fi. I think is always interesting because it 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 um, it's always that that core concept that usually it's around. It's it's in, in our case, it's a kid wakes up in the giant maze and doesn't has no idea where he came from or how he got there and has to find a way out there's always like a concept that's usually wrapped around these science fiction ideas that are fun to explore, you know, what if, right? That's, that's usually the, the fun part of sci-fi. And then you get to kind of analyze the kind of character dynamics or some kind of a social issue inside that kind of circumstance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Twilight Zone, you know, perfect example there too, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that with science fiction. I mean, even with horror, like I guess most of genre, like, you know, um, George Romero did this with with his films. You yep. can bring in social commentary into this playground and kind of build your way around it. And with sci-fi, you have even more room to play because you you can kind of just make stuff up. Physics yeah, don't sure. necessarily apply. You can bring in new technologies. You can you can just bring in all this extra stuff. The um, gravity drive, <laughs> so you don't have to float around <laughs> through everywhere. Like exactly. That. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to, to talk a, a little bit also kind of about your journey to these films because um, you kind of hear this happening where a new director kind of gets brought in and gets given, you know, some a, a decent budget to do, you know, kind of a possible tentpole film. Yeah. Um, but not many directors can say, can say that they've helmed, you know, what I would consider a, a, success, a successful trilogy of films, you know, because you came out and you did Maze, Maze Runners, your first feature-length film, mm-hmm. and of course, Scorch Trials, and and then now The Death Cure. Um, 
So, I mean, I really think that's that's awesome and a really cool part of, of your story as a director moving on from here. Um, if, what was your journey up to that point? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. You know, I, I, uh, I always knew I was going to be a working the movies somehow. Right. I kind of fell in love with mo- the movie making pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to film school, you know, Florida state film school, um, learned kind of live action filmmaking, you know, and shot on film. I was like the last class actually shot and cut film. So at least <laughs> I have that experience. I don't need to go back to that personally, right. <laughs> but it was fun to, to have that kind of discipline. Um, and, uh, it was it was in film school that I decided I was going to do my first animation, um, my first kind of animated short, and and that was kind of at the time kind of crazy because the school had never done animation. We're a live action school, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was kind of up in my in my dorm room essentially, you know, tinkering away on the computer trying to figure out how to do this little short that I made. It was called a work in progress, and it's very Disney. It's very <laughs> sweet and, and almost saccharine, you know? Um, it's, it's interesting because at the time for me, I had been watching a ton of student films and they all were kind of about the same thing. It was like, you know, a, a, an assassin or it was about, uh, you know, uh, someone coming out of the closet or, you know what I mean? It was always particular topics that people were interested in when they were making these little uh, college student films, but I decided I was going to make something totally different that fit more into the Pixar mold, you know? And mm-hmm. then, so I ended up winning a student Oscar off of that, which is, a, which is crazy. It's it just, you know, nuts. As soon as I graduated, I came out to Los Angeles right when I was getting all these kind of awards from these things, from this short, meeting a lot of people. I kind of talk about the bottled water tour, you know, of L.A., <laughs> where you kind of meet these different producers and executives and these people. And like, so, kid, what you got? You know, and right. I just, being totally naive, thought, you know, hey, I'm going to. I'm going to be a director now. It just, do you just give me a movie now? How does this work? <laughs> of course, it doesn't work that way, right? You know, so it became, you know, I kind of sold one little thing. It was one little thing that I did. It was called The Treehouse. It was kind of this dark fantasy kind of like horror thing with kids, which looking back has a lot of like resonance with, uh, or at least it echoes kind of uh, the major runner theme it was in a weird way. Mm-hmm. But that was my kind of first process into kind of this development hell of like, <laughs> it didn't go anywhere. It just kind of unraveled and fell apart in my hands. I was like a 22, 23 year old kid. I didn't know what I was doing. And so that kind of all fell away. All my chances, all my opportunities were gone. <laughs> it kind of evaporated. And, but fortunately I had this animation background, right? So I started up this little kind of visual effects company, um, pretty much by, by accident, um, where, I would kind of, I called myself oddball animation and no one really knew it was just me, (laughs) you know, for the most part. And I would bring on some friends here and there for freelance work, but I'd always presented, oh, oddball animation is calling, (laughs) you know, so I'd present myself as a company. So I started doing lots of visual effects and, you know, um, you know, commercials and music videos and all this crazy stuff. That's how I paid the bills, you know what I mean? And so, and after that, um, I got to this place where I just like, oh, I have to make something, you know, I have to do something for myself. I was tired of like doing client work type stuff. And so, um, uh, I decided I was going to, I had this little idea rolling in my head for a long while and it was just kind of post-apocalyptic, although I wouldn't call it post-apocalyptic, but it was just kind of a big kind of large, almost epic fantasy thing. But it happened to be set in a world that was a thousand years after some catastrophic event happened on, on the planet. And, I had this little opening that was very much in the vein of like um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was it was just kind of an introduction to a character and a world and kind of a concept. And so um, it's centered around this guy 
and a bike chase through the streets of an overgrown civilization. And that became the short that I put out called Ruin. And people can search online for that. Um, it's, all, it's out there. Um, and so I made this thing for like, you know, basically eight months. It took me, I thought it was going to be five months, but I basically said, I'm not going to take any work. I'm just going to sit down, focus and make this thing just so I can get it off my chest. And then maybe I can use this as a showreel piece to go work at a visual effects shop. I can go, you know, work for Weta or something, you know, that was, or ILM. That was a kind of a dream of mine to become a, a really cool visual effects artist. And, uh, so I made this thing and I just kind of put it out online and, Boom, it just kind of, I, I got that kind of like, you know, that that crazy thing that happens where it just spread everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, on Twitter and then on Facebook and then through all the different blog sites. And it became just, you know, this kind of crazy feeding frenzy in a weird way where all those people that I had met, you know, 10 years previously <laughs> were knocking again and asking, hey, 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 uh, what you doing these days, you know? <laughs> and so, but this time I was, you know, maybe a little bit smarter, I suppose, and I had a kind of a, a story behind this thing to back it up. And, you know, I would go in and pitch this stuff along with my, my buddy T.S. Nolan, um, who was a writer, a screenwriter. He was a, he was a working writer, actually, at the time. And uh, he and I would go around and pitch this thing to lots of great people that I still know to this day, you know. I mean, I remember J.J. Uh, Abrams was, was, like, was like the first person who actually caught this short and brought me over. And it was like a big day when, like, you got a call from him and said, hey, why don't you come out to set tomorrow? Because they happened to be shooting in Los Angeles, and I was gonna—I wound up on the the Star Trek set while they're oh, shooting nice. a, a scene there, and I was like, it was awesome. It was like, <laughs> whoa, crap! It was a big IMAX camera. Holy, that's amazing! You know, yeah. so it became this like you know really fun little time, you know. And so all these people, all these different little uh, companies and studios and stuff, were asking, hey, can you tell me the full story? And I kept playing coy, like I'm not ready to give you the full story yet. But there's a big story behind it. Just give me a little, give me a couple weeks, give me a couple weeks. And during all that time, during that kind of that that weird kind of flirtation that happens, right? right. That 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 time, I was meeting some people at Fox, um, and I had told them I had made this short on my computer screen, but I had actually designed it and made my kind of camera choices um, for a giant big screen, and I made it in stereoscopic 3D. So I had never actually seen it in stereoscopic 3D, right, with 3D glasses. I had only kind of done the cheap version, the red and blue version, where that's how I would judge the stereoscopic settings that you can kind of like, you know, um, do that kind of version of the movie. And, and one of the executives there, his name is Steve Asbell, he's a great, great friend of mine now. Um, he, uh, he basically said, dude, you got to come to the lot and we'll just give me the file and we'll put it up in our theater here on the lot and we'll just go sit down and watch it. I'm like, sweet, that sounds fantastic. And so like Steve kind of invited some producers and just people on the lot out there to that little thing. It was just a little tiny room. I've been to that, that, that um, now, now in the, after this, I've been to that theater a lot to screen our movies and our dailies and stuff. But it was this cool little experience, you know, played it up, played great, sounded great, all this great stuff. And uh, it was after that screening that another executive there kind of pulled me aside and she had something in her pot, her, in, in, her, in her jacket. Her name was Daria Sursek, and she um, she gave me this book. <laughs> it was called The Maze Runner. And she says, you know, take this home and read it. And tell me what you, what you would do with it. And so here I am talking to them about all these people about the the movie version of Ruin and all this crazy stuff. And then I got this little this other thing, this Maze Runner book. Okay, interesting. So I went home and read it, and I said, oh, interesting. This is kind of this is kind of this is kind of cool. This is kind of Lord of the Flies, and for me, when I was growing up in Florida, 
I grew up in a really small town. Um, uh, it was a great way to grow up, but I spent most of my childhood out in the woods building fortresses and you yeah. know fighting monsters and you know that was my childhood essentially and yeah, so very i much just the same I, way i was in yeah. iowa so okay yeah, exactly definitely. right so very winter time we had sure. <laughs> you're right i didn't get snow so all i had was like muddy <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, muggy mosquitoes and you know whatever swamp land but so it, the the major story kind of really connected with me on that level i love this kind of like little survival thing in fact i actually changed a little bit from the book um, for that to, for, for me to kind of push more into that idea of survival. And so anyway, I kind of, um, they gave me, they had, a, they had a script and a director previously attached to this thing and it just wasn't working for whatever reason. And so I, I read the book first and then I read their script and I kind of immediately said, oh, I would do this totally different. And so it's totally naive <laughs> in, in, in hindsight, but I came in basically with a, a little bit of artwork that I made, um, and, uh, and, and basically a pitch for a movie that meant throwing out their script and starting over. Wow. <laughs> it was just pretty crazy. ambitious, man. <laughs> and totally. But the thing I had going for me was this short ruin that I had made. Right. A lot of the textures in it are concrete and overgrown plants, which is exactly the aesthetic of Maze Runner. So I used a lot of those same assets to make some of these images that, that for me – um, kind of felt like the Maze Runner world. Yeah. I did a couple of them, and they they didn't all wind up in the movie or anything, but they definitely kind of presented an aesthetic. You know what I mean? And so, based on that, in the pitch and and all this kind of stuff, I went in and met with the you know the studio head and kind of pitched my version. And it was you know, it was uh, right there in the room. She's a great you're a director. Let's get started. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of that story. Now. It, I've told this story before, so if anyone has heard it, I forget, forgive me, but it's a crazy story. What happened was that was on a Monday, and then Tuesday comes around, and I'm like flying high. Oh, my gosh, I, I have a shot to make a movie now. I, I might be a director. This is amazing. So Tuesday, I get a call saying, um, look, we, we want you to make this movie, and we want you to be a director, but we're not going to make any choices yet because we have you on the books to finally come in tomorrow and pitch your feature version of Ruin. Finally. <laughs> so I go back into Vox like a day later and I, and me and TS, we, 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 TS Nolan, Tom Scott Nolan is a writer. I keep saying TS, but, um, we pitch our version of ruin to Steve Asbell and Asbell says, great. I love it. Let's, let's buy it. Let's do it. So, you know, that week was like, you know, wow. it's like lightning struck multiple wow. times. You know, I probably used up all my luck that I have in my life <laughs> and I was given this chance to basically, you know, work for Fox, you know? And so we got to busy, got busy making, making uh, maze runner. That was really important to them. And, you know, uh, ruin kind of put on the shelf, and I said maybe I'll I'll come back to it after the first movie after I after I finish this one. You know, we got to got to work kind of making those uh those scripts and those stories work, and uh, and I thought for me at the time I was just going to make this one movie and then move on. That was it. I I, I liked the first book. I wasn't totally thrilled with the, the second two. At least I didn't I didn't see how I would do my version at least. Um, so that was the plan, you know, and then we just went off to the races and the whole idea was that Fox wanted to make this, this movie cause it's a, it's a gamble, right? One, it's a, it's a gamble just on a property cause you know, these books, they had sold me like five or 6 million copies, which is not, not bad at all, but it's not hunger Games, which had sold 60 million copies or whatever. Right. So we weren't even in the same league really in terms of like, you know, awareness. But so that meant essentially that there's a, there's a cost threshold that they would be willing to spend yeah. and so 
it started out as like a $20 million movie. And when they started seeing some of the artwork I was generating and some of like the, the visual type stuff that kind of got, got expanded slowly as we went along the process and it kind of went to, it ended up being a $34 million movie, um, which is, you know, in a studio world, that's, that's basically um, romantic comedy uh, yeah. money, <laughs> not, not a sci-fi, you know, a franchise starter, you know what I mean? Um, but because of my background in visual effects and all, and all that stuff, um, I, I had a few tricks up my sleeve and, and some good people around me to help kind of realize, uh, you know, basically a, a fantasy kind of like suspense thriller, um, sci-fi kind of concept um, with these movies and, you know, doing for a, a price. And then ultimately, you know, what's kind of cool is these three movies combined cost, you know, $160 million maybe. That's the price of, you know, most single movies <laughs> that come out, you know, and now yeah. we've, we've, we've brought in you know, just shy of a billion dollars in box office. So, you know, very proud of all that. Um, it's been, uh, it's been a hell of a ride, you know, but, um, uh, we'll see what's next, but yeah. it's been, it's been, it's been an incredible opportunity, I guess is what I'm trying to get yeah, at. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know that's I mean? awesome. Um, I, I, the budget to me, like when I started looking at the budgets for these and everything and just how they like how they look on screen. I mean, I, unfortunately I wasn't able to see these on the big screen. I'm kind of kicking myself. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a cool experience. We spent a lot of time on that big screen experience. But it, 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 one it, day it'll get released. <laughs> well, I mean, I definitely, if I had the chance, I'm definitely going to jump at it. Um, but what I, what I love about these films is that you can tell that there was, uh, there was attention to detail with the effects and uh-huh. me being, you know, the movie buff that I am, um, I'm a huge practical effects and being right. a child of the eighties and then the you sure. nineties, uh, huge on practical effects. And I feel like once movies jumped into digital, they were very much hit or miss, especially when you get around to science fiction or fantasy. Sure. Um, kind of rewatching some of those is a little bit painful that came out in the, like the later 90s. Once Jurassic Park hit, all of a sudden everyone's like, we're going digital. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Some, you know, with some varying degrees of, of, uh, of, of visual trickery. Um, Cause not everyone's a Steven Spielberg. <laughs> That's know? right. <laughs> no but, one is. Um, <laughs> But what I loved about these and um, is just how how they looked and how the effects I I think hold up, especially with a movie of this budget. Um, so through these three films, how uh, important were practical effects versus digital? Did you um, how did you handle that? Because I know a lot of studio like I feel like I mean I could be wrong. I'm just kind of you know audience member looking in at at the industry, but I sure. feel like because of cost and cutting corners and everything that there's a lot of, we'll fix it in post. We'll get the visual effect in or we'll do it digital. Yeah. W- w- uh, how was that wrestling that arm wrestling? This, yeah. This for is, you? this is actually a huge, um, this could be a, a huge conversation, but that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, I'm, 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 uh, I got, I just poured another scotch. So okay, however, okay. uh, all right, drink up. So I'm very aware of the whole, like, you know, Oh, it's practical, man. That's the way to do it. That's the way, you know, that's the way the movies we grew up on. The truth is practical doesn't really work anymore. You know, a lot of these movies that everyone just thinks about, like, oh, they did that practically, they did that practically, most of it gets replaced by CG anyway. <laughs> right. But what that tells you, it's it, the, the reason what people don't like is bad VFX, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's the stuff. It's, 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 it's when it's used 
is when it's not used properly. And usually what that comes down to, especially say, you know, after Steven Spielberg or James Cameron, those guys, they know how to use the tool. Um, and, and it's just a tool. It's not a crutch, right? So there's, there's a whole kind of like method of how you use visual effects and how you shoot visual effects so that they work great. Because usually what happens is, you know, you've got, say, a director who doesn't really know the tools, has a guy next to him saying, yeah, yeah, sure, uh, we'll, we'll make it work, yeah. And you know, <laughs> you've got some poor visual effects guy who, you know, a uh, supervisor who, you know, clock's ticking, money's on the line, and he just has to say yes, and they'll figure it out. But, you know, <laughs> there's a natural thing with, like, uh, you know, which I try to kind of, you know, actively, you know, try to make sure it doesn't happen, but, you know, when when directors have this kind of air of like importance around them for some reason and people are afraid to tell them you know yes no this is going to not work this is going to be terrible and pretty quickly I, I try to whenever the team comes in granted I've, I've worked with the same team now pretty much for the last three movies so it's, it's easier conversations but I tell them like guys it's okay you can tell me I, I don't have any ego I don't need to be right <laughs> just tell me what's going to work and so also, that along those lines, on the VFX side of things, I, I knew enough to be dangerous. I wasn't like the greatest artist ever, but I knew how you could shoot things, and I knew the pitfalls of you know what would what would make for a great shot and what would make for a bad shot. And so, too often, what happens is it becomes an afterthought. You can't you don't understand the tool that you're using, the visual effects tool, the computer later on, and you shoot things in a way that doesn't matter how great of an artist or how realistic your model is or whatever, the framing's off or the lighting's off or whatever it is, right? It's, it's the, the, the pieces that need to come back together as, as you shoot them in different kind of times and spots. They don't line back up. And so that's usually what you're picking up on is it, it's, it's a fix it and post, just like what you said. It's, it's usually about people that, you know, there's no time, there's no money, and there's not enough forethought and planning to make this stuff work really well. Now, what that means for me in these movies usually is I don't get the benefit of, uh, well, we'll reshoot that later or, you know, we'll throw big money at the problem or whatever it is. I usually have to, you know, have pretty severe constraints on us, right? So on the first movie in general, you know, there's like a sequence when like there's a kind of attack on their village essentially. And I could afford the creature in that sequence. Uh, I could afford about eight shots, right? So, Going into that sequence, I had to plan, okay, I can show this thing eight times. Those eight times better count. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> nice, yeah. And so you end up kind of designing a shot that really features it, that really kind of like, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to make this feel real. It's going to be handheld. It's gonna, the camera's going to be moving. We've got to put some tracker markers up. We'll make that work good. But we need some interaction. So we'll have some, some lights set up there so that we can see this thing. You know what I mean? So it's all about that. It's about how you use that tool. Um, to work because you know if if it's done properly you get brilliant stuff. I mean, you, t you talked about Jurassic Park, and to me that thing is so amazing to this day. Um, you know, granted, hey, you know, shaders and some of the different kind of rendering kind of techniques we have today are, are light years advanced, more advanced than Jurassic Park, but those shots still hold up today. Sometimes better than what I see in today's yeah. you know dinosaur movies. You know, yeah, what I mean? it's, it's yeah. because. It's because how they shoot it. Yeah, he shot exactly. it like he was shooting a movie, right? Yeah, you know, he knew he, how, to, he, how to blend. He knew 
the, the thing about those films, especially around then, like I feel like they knew when would be a practical effect and when would be a digital effect and when they'd yeah. be able to marry the two and do and be able to com- composite out, you know, and, and switch out. They, they, like you said, like there was a plan going in and right. that way you can really composite some really good shots. And that's, and that's what I feel is missing from a lot of studio films. I mean, if, even if you look at, 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 Justice League. I mean, that movie had so much money thrown at it, and there's so many bad special effects in it, <laughs> right? That I'm like, if they would have taken the, t- and I know that one that that movie especially has some um, some problems because uh, Zack Snyder had to leave uh, due to some right. family issues, and then uh, Joss Whedon came in and and wanted to put his little stamp. I mean, I mean, I, there's things going on there, right? But but it's so important to have that plan coming in that um, I feel like a lot of these movies sometimes don't. And um, Well, I'll tell you what also happens with these giant movies, you know. Usually you are, which I didn't experience on the first movie, but I did experience on the second and third movie. You have a release date before right, you even yes. have a script. Yeah. Right? So you are racing. You are, <laughs> you know, the, the, the only thing you can do is you can't, you can't invent more time. All you can do is throw more money at the problem, right? Um, so... I'm sympathetic somewhat to what the, those kinds of movies have to deal with. Um, it's difficult, you know, uh, environment to to be in. Um, but usually, that's what that's usually the product of of lots of different teams that aren't really communicating well with each other, or you know, last minute changes, or you know, there's a mustache on a guy and we have to get rid of it. You know, <laughs> oh, it's, man. it's that kind of stuff. That um, that you're you're right. It, they, it hurts the movie experience. And what happens to me these movies sometimes they just feel like product. They don't feel like, you know, real, you know, works of, 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 you know, some kind of a creative endeavor. You know what I mean? They're just like, we got to get this out. We got to get this out, you know? And that's a shame. You know? Yeah. Well, the, the one thing about these, these three films, especially that I notice, um, I mean, the first one you have the, 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 the maze trying to get out of the maze. The second one is more of a post-apocalyptic, almost a zombie film in a way. Uh, yeah. post-apocalyptic kind of action film with zombies. Third one, um, more of a heist city, movie. Yeah, cityscape heist movie. And I love how <laughs> each of them transition. Um, you said you weren't a fan of the second uh, the second and third book as much. Well, I, wasn't, how, how did, uh, I, I didn't see my way in, I guess. Right, but, right, um, right. So, yeah. so how, um, so what direction did you take, I guess, adapting these um, in particular, kind of choosing... Like, all right, I'm going to keep this aspect. I'm going to change this. And then, of course, once you change something in the first movie, you have to keep yep. that through. If it's a character yep. change or kind of a world building change, you have to keep that through to the totally. other movies as well. So what what were the kind of the, uh, I guess, biggest challenges kind of going through and making these books? Like, essentially, like you're making them your own, which is what I think every directing and writing team should do with an adapted yeah. work. It's uh, it, it is the challenge, honestly. It's probably the most work that we did as, as the, you know, me and TS, the writer, um, uh, my producers, you know, Joe and Wick. Um, you know, th- that is where most of our, you know, creative energy was spent is taking those books. And the truth is, you know, those fans, those book fans, they are passionate about these books, like in a serious way, right? Um, and, and, I, and I appreciate that. And, and I, I want to do right by them because I, I feel like they're the ones who really um, 
launched our franchise, our first movie, right? They're the ones who kind of, you know, went out and evangelized these 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 uh, stories to people and said, no, 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 it's not like Hunger Games. You should really check it out. You know what I mean? It's that kind of stuff. So they're very, very important to me. So I don't want to like just throw throw the, the books away and do right. my own thing. So usually what it's about, like for me in the first movie as an example, and I want to give, I want to be careful about spoilers here. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'll say this. I'll say, I'll say right up front. I'll say this: that the, the the movies are very close in spirit to all the books. You know what happens in those books basically happens in the movie, but I might get there in a different way. What I always kind of explain to people was like, I'm working with the same ingredients, but I might have come up with a different recipe, right? Um, so usually for me to stay in the second movie, where you're talking about uh, the zombie kind of trope thing, where in the second book, what we find out is that after that first book, is that at the very end of that book, you step into a completely new world, right? And that world was a cool one. It's a post-apocalyptic kind of world, and um, it's filled with these crazy um, virus-infected people, right? And <clears throat> so I knew that was, at its core, the kind of movie it had to be, right? <laughs> so then it was about, okay, we have to take all these kind of dramatic character things that are also happening in these stories and make sure that they work, right? Um, there's a There's a... There's a particular, you know, betrayal, for instance. Mm-hmm. We were going to make sure that betrayal really worked. Oh. And not only that, but set <laughs> us up. Right, exactly. But not only that, but that it set us up really well for the third movie. Because when when we were editing the first movie, you know, that's when, you know, I thought, again, I was going to go away and do something else. Yeah. You know, the studio kind of came to me and said, hey, you know, it's fine if you want to go do something else. That's cool. We'll, we'll support you. But you should really think about, you know, doing the second one. You know, don't twist my arm, but, you know, think about doing it. And so I went away and I read it and I kind of tried to figure out what is my way into this thing. Okay, it's it's kind of a journey movie. And I kind of like the idea that these characters, you know, they're out of the maze, but they're still lost, right? And they're trying to still find out who they are as people, um, which will make sense when you watch the movie. But um, uh, I, I kinda, that was kind of a way I kind of locked into it. And on top of that, like you said, what was kind of exciting to me is that I didn't have to go back into another maze. You know, I, I personally couldn't do that. I don't think right. just do the same thing which, over which and over again. Most of the time a, a sequel is going to do that a year. I was expecting yes. to end up in a maze at some point again. And, and we didn't. And that was so refreshing. And in, in we get film. knocked for that too, by the way, <laughs> you know, you know how many people like, uh, if, if only I would have just followed the, the, the normal kind of formula of any of these, you know, whatever these movies that we've seen, um, <laughs> where, you know, the end is, you know, you, you, you go back to the same place you started and you uh-huh. have an even bigger battle. With, right, with, right. With more bad guys, and, <laughs> and it's like I just I, I wasn't interested in that. To be totally honest, like I wanted to do something a little different. I, I liked the idea that these little movies were actually character movies. Yes, you know, if you don't connect with these characters, then doesn't the movies aren't going to work for you? Basically, there's some cool spectacle, or some cool fun and, and adventure, but if you don't connect to these guys, then you don't care what happens to them. Because I always love that these movies they're, they're they're a little bit more intimate. They're a little bit more like a garage band, you know, franchise, you know. Um, which is which is cool. It's like we're a little more dirty and, and a little bit more, you know, raw essentially. And and I, I personally really like that. Um, but so yeah, I, I guess without again talking about too much particulars, it was really fun that each movie got to be kind of its own thing. And that was for me what Star Wars was, <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, yeah, how, no, how, exactly. you know. You know, looking at Empire Strikes Back, you know, of course I was looking at that when I was making the second one. It's like, oh, yeah, all those different worlds you got to visit, you know. And so when we were making that second one, we found some incredible locations, right, 
to go to. And, and I tried to really up my game in terms of like, you know, execution, you know. So, I, you know, I, I typically can't go back and rewatch my movies. I just have a tough time with it <laughs> because I just, uh, I just keep like, oh, I should have done that or I wish I changed this or. Every artist is like that. <laughs> if only I had known the choice we made on the first one, I wouldn't have made that choice so that I could not have to deal with it in this one, you mm-hmm. know, because, you know, the, the books are, they're, 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 they're a very, they're a really tricky mythology. They're, they're very, not necessarily a bad way, but a, a convoluted one. And it works on the page, right? Books, you know, you, you have a way of filling in the blanks because you're using so much of your imagination anyway, right? When you're reading a book, but in movie terms, you are a passenger, right? Um, to, to, uh, uh, something that's happening up there on the screen that you, you know, hopefully invest in, right? So it's show, don't tell, you know, and, and, and that's been the trickiest part is how do we still get across the, the basic concepts of these books, but do it in a way that works in, in a movie world versus what I, what I kind of feared. If I were just to do what was exactly in the books, it'd be really laughable. You know what I mean? Um, things like in the first book, you know, they have telepathic abilities, the characters, right? Gotcha, These characters, right. When, they, when they wake up, they can actually talk to each other through their minds. And uh, there's this, I knew right away, there's no way I'm putting that in the movie. Yeah, telepathic powers are always, even in movies where it kind of works, it's always very tough. The only one, the only movie that ever worked, the only movie that ever ever worked in my mind was Lord of the Rings. Yes. Well, yeah. You know, when when you see uh, I forgot her name that that um, you know Kate Blanche's character yeah, uh, is that is that Galadriel? Yeah, and they had yeah. that great little community shot photo of the tire. But it makes that sense with like, her though. Yeah, but it was like great. It worked so well because it was like yeah. a, a really interesting kind of majestic kind of moment for this character and her powers and stuff. But anyway. Um, <laughs> It doesn't even really work for me in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Luke, you know, Leia, hear me. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a little silly. It worked for me as a kid, but today I don't think we we would, we would go with it. I don't think. It's it's always, it's always the same effect. It's the, they got the, a lot of echo and. Exactly. Right. It's like, and I just was not interested in doing that. And then second to that, another uh, kind of change. And it comes from my, my interpretation of the books essentially was, I felt like because the concepts were fairly, I don't want to say ludicrous, but they were very far-fetched. It's a gigantic maze that's filled with monsters and changes every night. That's a, that's, that's, that's a little out there. You have to either go with it or it doesn't really work for you. So my approach was essentially, I'm going to make this really grounded and real, right? I'm going to treat it as if it's real. Uh, it's not going to be a kind of a cartoony kind of like, you know, kids thing, right? Um, and so that meant things like in the book, the mazes are actually all underground and the sky is all virtual. It's all digital kind of thing. And, and for me, that was just too far. That was one step too far for this kind of very grounded real world. So it's things like that where my changes came from, where it's like I would leave things out and hope, try my hardest to not contradict the books while maybe at the same time sort of having my own sort of spin on, on how we arrived at particular kind of really dramatic beats that were important to right. the, the stories functioning as a whole, right? So well, that, that was, and who knows, maybe I did it all wrong. Maybe someone else would come in and do it better, but we did the best we could. <laughs> be a, a remake in 10 years. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> no, but that's what I always love about like uh, adaptations of books though. And I always appreciate it when a filmmaker and a writer, or sometimes it's a, a filmmaker slash writer, sometimes, sometimes they're doing it all on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they come in and, and they interpret it kind of their own way. And it, a very, 
I don't know, meaningful, but in an original way, but they make it their own. And for me, I feel like that speaks a lot more to me as a film goer than somebody just kind of ticking off every little note of uh, the book. Um, Because what what I like to do as a viewer is... I like to be able to enjoy each thing on its own. So a lot of times yeah, I'll sure. read a book first and I want to kind of go in and, and enjoy the film. I mean, you look at one of the biggest examples is the, of this was the Stanley Kubrick's The Shining words. You sure. Know, Stephen King uh, hated right? yeah. <laughs> the film version. But The Shining is fantastic. 2001 also, right? Exactly, yeah. So, so that type of adaptation I always love. Um, I mean, the only time I ever saw something that really worked beat for beat was Zack Snyder's Watchmen. I feel like when yeah. he did that with in with a graphic novel, and then even Three Hundred, like that worked. But that was already a visual medium. Yeah, um, totally. But a, a novel is a whole different ballgame. It's a and very even, very different ballgame, right? And, and yeah, and even with J.R. J.R.R. Tolkien's books, you know, mm-hmm. The Lord of the Rings had like Peter Jackson had to make a lot of changes to make this into a film. And I feel like most of those worked, but you can't kind of like be married to the page. If you're, if you enjoy a book or a certain property, I feel like it's always fun if it's done well. And then like, for me, I'm coming in, like I said, completely, I haven't read the books at all. And I can, I kind of see what you're doing with these films. I'm invested in the characters most of all. And I'm kind of going through on this journey. And, and that for me was really uh, rewarding. So, you know, it's kind of interesting is for someone who is maybe just now say visiting the movies um, for them to watch them all in close succession to each other is going to be an interesting experience actually that, you know, because say the second movie, I, I chose to basically be exactly like five minutes after the end of the last one. Right. And that's going to be interesting for people that might choose to kind of check these out today to have them that close together. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure if it will work or not because for me myself, like I said, I can't really go back and watch, but I I would imagine (laughs) that there's, there's definite growth as, as just a filmmaker for me personally, um, in terms of craft, as, as you move through each movie, they probably each get better and better made, you know? Um, oh man. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, I definitely noticed that. Well, that and Thomas Brody, uh, Sanger, like ages, like five years, every movie. Yeah, like, totally. totally. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Him, yeah. Like just him, like just grow, <laughs> you know, in these films is great. Even, uh, Will Poulter, you know, um, but seeing them, I, I, I love that. I mean, you see that with like the Harry Potter movies and stuff like that. And, yeah, but they got they, they were lucky because they had like the they had a year gap, right? Or yeah. they had a summer gap, whatever, before the next school year or whatever. So they always had a little bit of a, a pad in there. But yeah, it's, it is interesting. It's a <laughs> I, tricky challenge. Well, <laughs> Will especially is like he went from like this. I mean, his eyebrows are always villainous. Yeah, they're but, iconic, um, <laughs> but he went from like this scrawny young guy to like this, you know, like yeah. beefcake of a guy, and by by the time you get to the third film, totally, yeah. Um, it, was, but, it was that was the school of hard knocks, man. That wasn't age. That was <laughs> yeah. That was the mileage well, that they went his, through <laughs> with his character. It, make, it makes sense, right? Um, yeah. So well, how, there's, there's a perfect example right there for it, you know. But like that that was in the books, you know, and we knew we had to do that, you know, which I won't give away, but that we had to figure <laughs> out how to put get that back in there. So yeah. by the end of the third one, what we're doing is we're juggling, you know. 12 different characters and you know all these kind of threads we got to tie up and it's just oh it was a it was a real challenge but how did casting come into play because I, I dylan o'brien plays our lead and i i really see him kind of developing into this 
action uh, star. You know, I, I really loved seeing his growth uh, through the films. Um, and yeah. even when you get into the second film, the addition of Rosa Salazar as mm-hmm. Brenda is just she her character is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I really love seeing her there. And then even, you know, like Barry Pepper comes into yeah. play. Um, Giancarlo. Oh, gosh. Um, Aiden. Aiden. Yes, Dylan. yes. And then um, we have bigger actors and actresses here that I think I'm having a brain blink right now. Patricia Clarkson, uh, Caius Cotelario, um, uh, Lily Taylor, uh, lots of great people. <laughs> Walton Goggins makes an appearance in the third. Oh, my God. Once he appeared. Walton is like freaking awesome. He's like such a. In fact, everyone, man, it's like I've been so lucky <laughs> with like the casting here. They've just been like great people to work with, you know, just down to earth. You know, we're, we're, we're going in every day and we're just playing you know, having fun. It's just fantastic. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, it was a good experience. And, you know, Dylan in particular, that was he was the last person we cast, you know, in that first movie. That was a big deal to cast our Thomas, our guy that's going to be, you know, the Thomas of the books. And and uh and that was a tricky choice to make, but I think we made the right one. And you're right, Dylan is not just an action star; he's extremely physical. Which, yeah, oddly exactly. enough, mm-hmm. I I never I never really tested that with him for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> but you know, like he made, he's made a joke once before. It's like I never asked him to run, and he does so much running in these movies. <laughs> what if he looks ridiculous? <laughs> it was all way to done. Right. You know, Watch but, these Tom Cruise movies; you'll get it. Just, watch, just <laughs> do what he does. Right. <laughs> and the guy runs great. I mean, he's, he's got a great look when he runs, you know, but, but anyway, I was more, I was more focused on the character side of things, you know, like who was this person, you know? And I had seen his teen wolf stuff, you know, which is a very kind of jokey, fun kind of character, which is totally opposite to what Thomas is as a character. And, um, we made the right choice because I think what, especially you see by the end of these movies is like, he, he's not just an action star. He's, he's a great, you know, actor, period. You know, he can handle drama just as well as anyone. And in fact, I think they're all fantastic actors. And I, I can only hope that in the future, that these are all going to be like just, just, you know, if not famous, they're going to be well known as, oh, that guy, you know, who shows up in everything or that girl who just, I always see them and they always do good stuff. You know what I mean? Because they're, they take their craft really seriously and they, they have the chops to kind of back it up, you know. So I think we, we lucked out in that way. We got to kind of almost discover this cast, you know. Did you, were you heavily involved in the casting process with most, yeah. most of these? Okay. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. And I have, a, you know, some credit goes to uh, Denise Chamey, my casting director, who I met office early on in the first one. And, and she and I would just talk constantly and we'd, how about this guy? How about this person? How about this? Ooh, I think this. And we just, you know, I, I would take my... I would, I would learn a lot from her and how to, how to deal with actors. I'd never dealt with actors before. You know what I mean? So, um, that was the whole experience, you know, but, uh, nah, man, it's been, it's been really cool. It's been really fun. And of course they're all great friends and, you know, we're, we, we always kind of, I, I just saw, uh, I just saw a movie with Dylan the other day and it's just, it's good times. Yeah. So, um, like when, when we first started talking, when I was asking you to come on here and, and for me to, you know, to interview you about this, uh, and like you are almost kind of wary a little bit about the ne- you know negative response, a yeah, little bit. Which we um, we get plenty of. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which you know, and it, ha- it happens. I mean, even like the biggest best movies have their critics. Well, I'll um, be honest though. I-, I think unfairly for us in our case, um, which is I think is interesting to hear your perspective on it because you kind of you had yourself preconceptions before you even saw the movie, and I think there's an element to that with our movies that 
um, you know, hey, if you watch it, you don't like it, fine. But, you know, the idea of that we're somehow trying to, you know, pull a fast one on an audience or something that we're not <laughs> taking it seriously or, you know, whatever. Like that, that always has bothered me a little bit. And, and, and when I see the kinds of movies that get complete freaking passes <laughs> and I think they're garbage, I mean, they're actually literally terrible movies. And then we get, you know, kind of knocked on it. It does hurt. It stings a little bit. But, you know, as a director and, and, and being now with these for three movies, you yeah. get you develop a thick skin. So, yes, you know, you, you, you let it roll off. But it comes still, along with the job, I guess. I said I said my part. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing about about these three films, man, is is I I couldn't come in and say that these are poorly made films. Like I really, really enjoyed myself with these films. And the uh, Death Curse starts out cracking, man, with the the tra- uh, that is it the yeah, sure. tra- is it yeah. a train right they're yeah. they're trying to break some prisoners out that scene even if you don't like anything else in the films you have to admit that scene is fantastic there's tension uh, the effects look great it's a twelve it's, minute action scene basically. oh man yeah. there's a rawness to it that's just great and a lot of the times like I'm my daughter's twelve and we're actually we're gonna start watching these she's um, like I was like, Hey, I'm talking to the director yeah, of these movies. She's uh, you probably should... in a good age to and, actually watch them. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's developing into like just a movie freak. So, uh, it's a lot of fun. She's always asking me, what are we, what are we going to watch next? Uh-huh. Um, what I like about the films is that it doesn't play down to the potential audience. Yeah. That's you know right. what I mean, yeah. it takes these things seriously. Serious stuff happens in the film. Um, everything's kept to a PG 13 level, I guess, but I mean, it's not it's on the edge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not like catering to it. Like you get, yeah, the I mean, point we are across. almost R. In fact, the last two movies, <laughs> you know, we were, we were R for a couple cuts Okay, and it took a lot to try to get down to that PG 13. Um, but it's not because of blood. It's because it's really intense. You yeah. know, like I said, I, I went for that really kind of grounded approach. So it makes it feel a little bit more real than other PG 13s that can get away with blood flying all over mm-hmm. the place. We can't even get away with a drop of blood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so it's interesting. And, 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 and like you said, it's like our core audience for those books and, and just who the people who go see these movies are, it's the 14 year old girls for the most part, you know, but I didn't make it just for them, <laughs> you know? Um, well, that's why I, I said. There's get, not. There's not that predictable love story that most executives would be like, "Hey, we got to get this 14 year old girls." Or it's uh, right. You need to have that. It didn't cater to that stuff. Like you're surprised. There's elements of romance and love and and all these emotions, but it doesn't. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't go where you where you, where you would expect it to go. And I think I really really appreciate that. Appreciate it. Yeah, we should we try. We try to like you know change it up and not do the the expected, you know. But at the same time, you know, we are tied to sort of. What, <laughs> there's certain things that need to happen. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That we know have to happen, and, and that's that's always been kind of the fun in a weird way because you know the the challenge is okay. We know we have to go there. How do we get there in an interesting way? <laughs> you know what I mean? So that, that that can be a good thing versus when you're starting over from from scratch and you have nothing to go on. You know. You, you can't blame anyone else. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I really hope, you know, more people, I mean, I'm a lot of, I, I mean, I, I really like for the most part, everyone that I talk to that I've said, Hey, I'm watching uh, Maze Runner movies. Everyone is like, Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm surprisingly loved it. Like, yeah, for, no, as far I, as my I, circle, I, I, there's a, 
there's a lot of great kind of support. If, if nothing else, people kind of respect. I think the the, the effort put into it. If it, usually the usually the, the the criticisms are like source material, which I don't, I don't think is really fair. But um, you know, it's fine. It's it really is cool. You can like it or not. It's it's all good. We we did our best, and we're all really proud of what we did, and had a great time making these things. And and hopefully, you know, at least we know that there's there's at least a uh, a, a fairly sizable number of people out there just based on ticket sales that, that did go and see these movies you know, several times. So well, that's just cool. based that's on my, my Twitter feed when I contacted oh, you yeah? about this interview. It was nuts. Oh, was um, it? That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so what's, what's next for you? Are you? Do you have any upcoming movies you're possibly looking into? Is there anything you can talk about? Is this was the death curse or death curse was or death cure done death curse uh death cure was that a cap on this trilogy uh for me yes for you okay <laughs> yeah so what's, what's i'm going done on? i'm done with these movies <laughs> <laughs> what what is next for you that you can possibly talk about even if it's being vague yeah, um, you know, there's, there's <laughs> is, is, is Ruin going to have its feature <laughs> yeah, film? Well, it's funny. Like, it, it, I feel so bad, too, because like <laughs> after the first one, it's like, I'm going to make Ruin. Oh, no, i got to make the second one. Oh, I'm going to make it. No, I'm going to make a third one. And it's like this thing, this poor Ruin just keeps sitting there on the shelf collecting dust. But one day, <laughs> one day, you know. But, um, but the rights for are now, bought, right? The rights are there. Yeah, yeah Fox owns the rights, okay. and they keep renewing right. them. So they, right. you know, okay. it's, it's, okay. it's, it's owned at Fox, which is cool. And, you know, <laughs> it might one day be a something I come back to and and I need to kind of reinvent that one to be okay, honest because right. I've stolen a lot from it <laughs> for these three past three movies honestly <laughs> right because right. there's there's an element of ruin that was a little bit of a western and, and yeah. like that opening train thing was almost from ruin because like okay. I want to do a, a western kind of opening except without horses you know that's where that train sequence kind of came from um but uh but but yeah there's a couple things that I'm working on and there's like one in particular that was been reported on is this mouse guard um thing and um it's a comic by David Peterson um, at at Boom Comics, and um, it's uh, it's really cool. <laughs> it's um, it's basically a, an epic fantasy uh, like Lord of the Rings or um, you know Game of Thrones, but it's with mice with swords. Nice. <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm doing it with Matt Reeves, who's the director of oh, Planet okay. Apes. Yeah. And oh, um, man. so yeah, so we're gonna do it a very real. Um, you know, mocap movie, um, similar to how, say, Avatar, or Planet of the Apes, or, you know, uh, those kinds of movies basically were made, um, really pushing the envelope on the kind of te- technological aspects of it, um, but, but doing something that's very, you know, take it very seriously, but at the same time have a ton of fun because I'm in this place right now where I've just made these three movies that, you know, are about the end of the world. And it, about the stakes are like, you know, life and death and it's heavy stuff, man. It's drama. And I'm really interested in doing something that's really fun and adventurous now, you know. And what better to do basically, you know, fighting badass mice, <laughs> you know, in, in, in a fantasy world that we've never seen before. Um, it's kind of exciting. So we're, we're kind of working on that right now, uh, developing that. And um, I'm kind of doing tests every day. Um, doing a lot of really cool stuff with like game engines and just where that whole kind of technological world is going right now. It's actually fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm looking at some stuff right now as we speak. So there's that. Then there's like, you know, there's this fall of gods thing I've been working on, which is, um, it's basically, 
it's it, it's this great kind of graphic novel that these guys did um mood and um it's called fall of gods and it's basically a norse mythology western so if you if i were to pitch it it'd basically be the revenant but with Nor- with norse mythology <laughs> <laughs> nice and it's totally freaking cool um, but it's hard R, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm not sure I want to go there yet, but right. you know, th- there's that. And there's a couple of things here and there that, you know, some TV things and whatever. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's like I, for the last five years, I, I have been, you know, in this very fortunate you know position to like be, here's your next movie. Here's your next movie. And now I'm kind of in this place where it's like, you know, I'm done with these movies. I, I made one, two, three, beginning, middle, end. It's great. It's it's fun. You know, um, I'm happy happy for it. But now I'm it's, it's a new world in front of me, <laughs> and I can kind of go anywhere. And I don't know, you know, where I'm gonna end up. So yeah. it's kind of exciting. You know that's, what I mean? That's awesome. And that's I mean, I've I have friends who've worked in Hollywood and stuff like that. And that's kind of the thing. I've I had a, a an acquaintance who did a lot of visual effects or no sound uh-huh. design. Uh, yeah. in many movies like he did uh terminator says company did like terminator salvation and then some mm-hmm. other films and and that was a thing once for their crew like once the film that film ends it's like all right well what are we doing next you know and there's yeah. always that kind of valley that they go it, through it's and, an interesting world is yeah. the movie business one it's yeah. very small right everyone yeah. kind of does know everyone in a weird way um and you're like a traveling circus <laughs> you, you usually especially for like movie makers we rarely ever make a movie in Hollywood. You know, we always go to, you know, some tax incentive place around the world. Like the first movie we shot in Louisiana and then the second movie we shot in you know, New Mexico, which was fantastic. And then, and then we, the last one we shot in Cape Town, South Africa, you know, so for eight months out of the year, I'm away from my family, you know, living in a remote world, which is a fun adventure along with this kind of, you know, crew and cast of, of crazies, you know, and we this kind of roam the world making these movies together. And then, like you said, it's like, you know, when that's done, you have to look for another job. You know, it's like, you know, someone made an interesting comment, these movies, when we put them together, you know, you're basically building a fortune 500 company, you know, in a span of a couple months. And then in about a year and a half or two, you dissolve it and start over, <laughs> you know, right. that's kind of our life. It's, it's interesting, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, but man, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Cause it is yeah. like, you know, it's a, it's, it's, you know, when you, when you're sitting around and talking about how big the bombs you're going to put and how big this, this building's going to blow up <laughs> and, and, and then you get to push the button, you know, and it's like, oh man, it's like you're a kid in the candy store. It's like, it's fantastic. You, you know? can't complain. No, absolutely not. <laughs> well, Wes, Wes Ball, thank you so much for to talking with me about these films. Uh, yeah, man, thanks for, for thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah, and um, I just I can't wait to see what you're gonna do next. These next thing, the next things you have, you know, in you know, in the incubation stage, I guess, sound fantastic. But in the meantime, everybody, please make sure uh, you check out Maze Runner, uh, Scorch Trials, and Death Cure. Um, I'm going to be re-watching these again, again with my daughter. I'm really excited to kind of see her reaction yeah, tell me how that goes to these films. And um, like I said, if you slept on these, I... I, I, I pretty much state my reputation on that. I, I can put my reputation on the line. It's not much of a reputation, but I mean, you know, whatever I have, I can put on the line saying that these are definitely worth checking out. If you're a fan of science fiction, um, you definitely would get your money's worth here and checking these out. Uh, Wes Ball, again, thank you for joining me and thank you for being so generous with your time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care.
of you for listening to today's episode. Please like and subscribe us over on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher. Your reviews and ratings really do help the show a lot. So you can find those links over at ScreamingPods.com. You can find our little icon there, Xenopod from the year 5000, designed by Derek Hefner, who also designed the Screaming Pods logo. So very excited about the artwork that he's brought to the table with with all this. So please check out his work. Also check out all the other fantastic shows on the Screaming Pods network. We've really brought together a really cool, just a nice combination of interesting shows with passionate hosts talking about uh, things that, that really they enjoy and hopefully you guys dig hearing them too. You can also subscribe to the Master feed of screaming pods so you can hear everything as they come through also if you like uh, these shows these other shows please like and like and subscribe to them as well there's also a donate button you can donate to any of these shows to their patreons and things like that but uh, you know your support for these shows really does help keep them going and even just giving them a shout out on social media it really does help us narcissistic <laughs> podcast hosts uh, get through the day once we once we launch these episodes into the world so we really really wouldn't be doing these podcasts without uh, without you guys listening so I really do thank you speaking of these shows tom nix who was on last episode of the xenopod his podcast has launched it's called wrestling is everything his first episode is up and it is fantastic if you dig kind of storytelling podcast this is for you it is not necessarily about wrestling uh he has created this really cool show where yeah it deals with wrestling but it is not necessarily for people who really care about wrestling. He talks about the 1950s and civil rights with a wrestler by the name of Spudnik Monroe. And he had got uh, arrested because he went uh, and hung out with his fans in what was called at the time a Negro Cafe. A very, very well done, eye-opening, and, uh, and inspiring episode right out of the gate. So that's Tom Nix and his podcast, Wrestling Is Everything. Please check it out. Hit me up on Twitter, Xenopod5000. Let me know what you thought of the show. I will talk to all of you next time. We will be talking Stuart Gordon's Space Truckers. Talk to you then. <laughs>